from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. I hope you're all doing well. Sorry for dropping this episode so late. I wasn't happy with the script I had written out and wanted to make sure that I was satisfied with what I was presenting to you people. I want to take a moment to thank all the listeners who have been downloading episodes of the podcast in the last week. I'm back to the top 10 on Podomatic for TV and film reviews. Also, my BitChute channel has been doing very well. You're all awesome, and I really appreciate the listenership and viewership. Today, we finish up our look at the Nightmare on Elm Street series. We'll start with Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master, then continue with Part 5, The Dream Child, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Sally, between the last episode and this one, we lost the great John Saxon. He was a key cast member in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, as well as a slew of other cult classics and B-movie gems. Enter the Dragon, Blazing Magnum, Black Christmas, Mitchell, Tenebre, Cannibal Apocalypse, Nightmare Beach... A lot of excellent genre fare to be enjoyed featuring this undeniable talent. Spoilers ahead. Now let's get into the movies. Oh, we're, we got movies! Do you live here? Nobody lives here. Real terror. 
second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy. And no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. The Dream Master. The Dream Master takes place one year after the events of the Dream Warriors. Kristen, Joey, and Kincaid are no longer residing at the Weston Hills Asylum. They've returned to normal lives, living with their families. But recently, Kristen has been uneasy. She's worried that Freddy might come back, frequently pulling Joey and Kincaid into her dreams. Repeatedly, Joey and Kincaid assure her Freddy is gone, even warning her that if she isn't careful, Freddy will come back. A short time later, Kincaid falls asleep and dreams he's in a junkyard, the same junkyard Freddy was defeated in. Freddy ends up being resurrected and kills Kincaid by gutting him with his claws. Then, Freddy goes after Joey, drowning him in his waterbed. Kristen only panics further when Joey and Kincaid aren't at school the next day. At school, Kristen is accidentally knocked out and is confronted by Freddy. Kristen is awakened by the school nurse before he can attack her. Kristen assembles a new group to challenge Freddy consisting of Rick, Alice, and Dan. That afternoon, Kristen has slipped sleeping pills in her food by her mother and she becomes vulnerable to Freddy. Kristen brings in Alice into her dream. Kristen is killed, but she gives Alice her dream power before she dies. With this new ability, Alice becomes the leader of the new Dream Warriors and even gains the powers of those slain by Freddy. One thing I will say Nightmare on Elm Street does better than Friday the 13th is they maintain a continuity between entries by focusing on a consistent group of characters. Part 2 being the odd one out, uh, the rest of the series has characters brought in from the previous film. We have Kristen, Joey, and Kincaid coming back from part three, only to be jobbed out to Freddy and give way to a new team. The twist of Kristen being killed was supposed to be a surprise, subverting expectations akin to Janet Leigh in Psycho or Drew Barrymore in Scream. That would have been more effective if Kristen was still played by Patricia Arquette and not by Tuesday Night. Arquette turned down the opportunity to reprise the role as Kristen because she didn't want to be stuck with the horror girl label. In her words in a 2017 interview, I love the horror genre and the Freddy franchise, but I was chomping at the bit to try other things as an actor. Robert Shea, the producer and head at New Line Cinema, approached Craven for the fourth film, but Craven's ideas were far-fetched. Craven had an idea for time travel and dreams, leading to Shea favoring the Dream Master story by William Kotzwinkel. Honestly, the Dream Master story felt like a more appropriate escalation and evolution from Dream Warriors. Rennie Harlan was the director of Dream Master. Harlan continued the tone of the previous film. He has a number of major credits. Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and Deep Blue Sea. He also helmed a few episodes of Burn Notice. Great show, by the way. Then again, he also directed The Adventures of Ford Fairlane with Andrew Dice Clay. Oh! Cutthroat Island, 12 Rounds with John Cena, and The Legend of Hercules. William Codswinkle wrote the story for The Dream Master, 
but never wrote for another film of note. He was primarily an author of both adult fiction and children's books. Brian Helgeland wrote the screenplay. His credits include L.A. Confidential, Mystic River, Assassins, A Knight's Tale, and 42, the Jackie Robinson movie with Chadwick Boseman. He, he wrote some pretty good stuff. Craig Safan provided the music score besides the reuse of Charles Bernstein's iconic theme for the Nightmare series. Safan was everywhere in the 1980s. Fade to Black, The Last Starfighter, The Legend of Billie Jean, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, Stand and Deliver. Not too shabby. John Carl Buechler provided the makeup effects. Buechler has a big Breckenrite, uh, one right up there with Bill Paxton being killed by a Predator, Xenomorph, and Terminator. Now, some may say Lance Henriksen, but he was an android in Aliens and not a human, so he may or may not count depending on the qualifying parameters. Anyway, back to Buechler. Buechler worked on the three major 80s horror franchises. He directed Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, and provided makeup effects for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master, and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Sadly, Buechler died after a long battle with prostate cancer in March of 2019. Robert England returns as Freddy, still the comical character he was in Dream Warriors. This is especially clear in the scene with Freddy dressed as the school nurse. Ken Sagos and Rodney Eastman reprise their roles as Kincaid and Joey, respectively. Tuesday night took over the role of Kristen for Patricia Arquette. You can tell she didn't feel comfortable in the role, which was unfair to Knight, considering she was taking over a performance that was done so much better and more effectively by Arquette. Lisa Wilcox is Alice, who becomes the new challenger to Freddy. She brings strength to the character that recalls lagging campus Nancy. She's maintained a steady career in film and television, Star Trek The Next Generation, Boy Meets World, and Murder, She Wrote are some of her well-known credits. Nicholas Millay has a small supporting role as Alice's alcoholic father. Lania Quigley of Return of the Living Dead has a cameo as a soul from Freddy's chest. Dream Master tries to maintain the spirit of Dream Warriors, along with bringing in fresh blood among the cast. Knight isn't given a chance to make Kristen uh, her own, or being as close to strong as Arquette made her in Dream Warriors. But Wilcox's Alice makes up for it. The movie itself is okay, not great or terrible, just okay. His mother was a God-fearing woman. His birth was an unspeakable horror. Please don't let him do that! His life and death have been one incredible nightmare. But now all that is going to change because Freddy wants to become a daddy. Want to make babies? What's wrong with me? You're just a little pregnant. Even if he has to adopt. Do unborn babies dream? When it comes to chills. It happened while I was awake. When it comes to screams. The part just start. When it comes to pure terror. Bon appetit. No one delivers like Freddy. Better buckle up. Nightmare.
Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. It's a boy! When it comes to terror, remember, Freddy knows best. The Dream Child opens with Alice in a nightmare of almost drowning in the shower before breaking out and ending up in an asylum. She finds she's among the patients dressed as a nun with a name tag, Amanda Kruger. She's locked in with them and wakes up just as they assault her. She tells Dan her love interest about the dream, but he comforts her. He tells her she is in control of her dreams. Alice stumbles upon Amanda Kruger, who gives birth to a deformed child. Alice goes after the child, only for the baby to transform into Freddy Krueger. And, obviously, this course is taking place in the dream world. Freddy is back in his form. Alice tries to warn Dan, but Freddy kills him, making it look like an auto accident. Alice wakes up to the news that Dan is dead. Also, she is pregnant with his baby. Freddy seems to be using Alice's unborn child to make him more powerful. Alice seems to be at a disadvantage until she finds an unexpected ally in the spirit of Amanda Kruger. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child, continues a year after the events of Dream Master. Alice and Dan return from the previous film along with Freddy. Alice's father is taking steps to recover from his alcoholism. This is a good means of continuing the Nightmare on Elm Street series. The film continues the themes of the previous uh, entries. Alice is still the Dream Master. We see the events that led up to the birth of Freddy Krueger, which were only hinted at in Dream Warriors. The possession element recalls Freddy's intentions towards Jesse in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. This referencing also helps separate Nightmare on Elm Street from the Friday the 13th series, which one film immediately followed another after the first four entries. The film has some striking visuals. The scene where the limbs of Freddy transform into tarantulas was unexpected and gruesomely terrifying. The chase in the M.C. Escher stairs immediately made me think of Labyrinth, uh, which I'm sure was actually intentional. All it needed was David Bowie singing in the background. Stephen Hopkins was the director. Dream Child was only his second feature film as a director. He makes the film engaging and keeps up a steady pace. Hopkins would go on to direct Predator 2, Judgment Night, uh, probably my favorite film of his. Uh, This was where Emilio Estevez and Cuba Gooding Jr. are being chased by a gang of thugs led by Dennis Leary. There was Blown Away with Tommy Lee Jones as an IRA terrorist. Uh, There was The Ghost in the Darkness. Like other directors in this series, Hopkins has his share of hits and misses. Dream Child was the second writing credit for Leslie Boehm. Boehm would also contribute to Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, but in an uncredited capacity. He also wrote Daylight with Sylvester Stallone and Dante's Peak with Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. Dante's Peak, the illusionist to Volcanoes the Prestige. Jay Ferguson of the band Spirit provided the music score. Ferguson's other music scores include License to Drive, Bad Dreams, The Double Dragon Movie, two Tremor sequels, and the TV pilot for Tag Team, the Jesse Ventura Roddy Piper cop show. Lisa Wilcox, Danny Hessel, and Nicholas Millay return from Dream Master. Robert England reprises his role as Freddy and rightfully gets top bill in the opening credits. In a 2016 interview, England spoke highly of meeting Hopkins for a lunch meeting and was taken in by Hopkins' pitch. 
I met Stephen Hopkins, who was like the handsomest man in Hollywood at a Thai restaurant in Culver City. Stephen was doing storyboards, and he was such a great illustrator that I just said, take me now. He goes, I want this whole sequence to be like M.C. Escher. I went, oh, perfect for a dream sequence. I get it. That's all he had to say to me and show me his doodle on a napkin, and I was hooked. The most notable new addition to the cast would be Whit Hertford as the dream representation of Alice's unborn son. Hertford gives off the needy, creepy vibes. He's best known for being the loudmouth kid that's quickly silenced by Ellen Grant in Jurassic Park. He was also in the Adams Family movie with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston. He was a frequent TV actor as well as voice actor. Full House, Empty Nest, Tailspin, Tiny Toons Adventures, Batman the Animated Series, Mad TV, How I Met Your Mother, and Conan O'Brien are just some of the highlights of his career. Dream Child has its moments. Hopkins brings energy and visual pizzazz to this entry of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It's another one that isn't amazing, but far from terrible. It's another one that's okay. As a boy, he was always different. No one understood him. You ready for it, boy? It's time to take your medicine. Thank you, sir. No one could control him. <laughs> Go inside, honey. But now, it's a new beginning. The beginning of the end for Freddy. Every town has an Elm Street. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, opens with a brief exposition dump. The film takes place 10 years into the future. The children and teens of Springwood, Ohio, have all been victims of suicides or mysterious killings. This has driven many of the adults into a mass psychosis. There is one surviving teen rumored to be alive, one by the name of John Doe. John Doe attempts to escape from Springwood, but is attacked by Freddy in his sleep. During the struggle, John Doe makes it across the city limits out of Springwood. Somehow, Freddy is trapped to Springwood and cannot continue the chase. Just as Joe escapes, he hits his head on a rock, becoming an amnesiac. John Doe is brought into a local shelter and taken under the care of Dr. Burroughs. 
Burroughs and her colleague, Doc, are already working with three other patients, Spencer, Carlos, and Tracy. Burroughs finds newspaper clipping of Springwood. Burroughs wants to take John Doe back to Springwood in the hope the triple jog is memory. Spencer and Carlos stow away in the van Dr. Burroughs and John are driving in. Little do they know the fate that awaits them back in Springwood. As is common in horror film, the word final in the title never really means it's the final film in the franchise. Yet, Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, actually intended to end the series. The filmmakers behind Freddy vs. Jason claim that their film takes place after the events of Freddy's Dead, which makes little sense as to how the teen populace would be so quickly replenished. Honestly, it makes more sense for Freddy vs. Jason to be a prequel to Freddy's Dead. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare presents a scenario that is a nice twist on a dystopia frequent in horror. It's the reverse of the trope of the town populated with children, as seen in Children of the Corn or the Spanish classic Who Could Kill a Child. Here we have a town where there are no children, and this has done severe emotional and mental trauma to the adults. The town fair sequence is as chilling as I've seen in the entire series. A plethora of Easter eggs and references are within this film. There's the obvious instance of The Wizard of Oz. The use of Night on Bald Mountain recalls the nightmare sequence from Disney's Fantasia. The face of the dream demons on Doc's poster hints at the mask of Ghostface from the Scream series. The Nintendo references with Freddy toying around with Spencer in the video game sequence. Johnny Depp returns for a cameo in the eggs and frying pan drug PSA that was popular in the late 80s, only to be smashed in the face with a frying pan by Freddy. The sound design during the Carlos sequence is fantastic. Seeing Freddy playing with Carlos's disability is funny in a morbid Warner Brothers fashion. When Carlos loses his earpiece, the sound is completely killed with Freddy creeping behind him. Then the sound is kicked in Uh, several notches when Carlos wears the Freddy earpiece. The claws on the chalkboard were the icing of the slasher cake, and the exploding head was the bloody cherry on top. The way the film handles the trauma experienced by the three patients of Dr. Burroughs is interesting. Spencer and Carlos are given the demented Warner Brothers treatment, yet Tracy's abusive father is presented as straight-faced serious. I can't help but interpret this as downplaying the severity of trauma experienced by men compared to trauma experienced by women. This is a problem that still continues today. On my Facebook feed, this had to be back around 2014, 2015, someone posted an image raising awareness of abuse inflicted upon men. One of the commenters replied if the image was a joke, a question that would never be raised that the image was of abuse towards women. According to statistics from 2015, one in seven men ages 18 and older have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner. Almost half, 48.8% of all men have dealt with some sort of psychological aggression by an intimate partner. Rachel Talalay was the director as well as the story writer for Freddy's Dead. She was previously a producer for Part 3, The Dream Warriors, and Part 4, Dream Master. She also collaborated with John Waters on Hairspray and Crybaby. She would go on to direct Ghost in the Machine and the film adaptation of Tank Girl, the movie that the the recent Harley Quinn movie wishes it was so very, very badly. 
Brian May provided the music score. No, not the guitarist from Queen. Brian May, as in the Australian composer of the Mad Max films, the movie Patrick, about a coma patient with psychic powers, as well as Cloak and Dagger. Uh, this is the Disney espionage film with Henry Thomas of E.T. and Dabney Coleman of Drexel's Class. Robert England reprises the role of Freddy Krueger. In this film, he delivers the iconic line, Every town has an Elm Street. For all who say he was cartoonish in Dream Warriors, they clearly forgot about this film. England goes full Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, all sorts of parody. The character was given a proper send-off with an excellent montage of his best moments throughout the entirety of the series. Lisa Zane as Dr. Burroughs ranks up there with Nancy, Kristen, and Alice as one of the best final girls to square off with Freddy. Sean Greenblatt does a fine job of selling the fear of being the last Elm Street kid left in the city of Springwood. Leslie Dean as Tracy is an interesting uh, chance of casting. She appeared in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares TV series two years before Freddy's dead. Ricky Logan as Carlos has one of the best sequences in the film, as mentioned previously. Logan managed to appear in both Back to the Future 2 and 3 before Freddy's Dead. He would jump back and forth between film and television. This was the feature film debut for Brecken Meyer, who would later break out in teen films like The Craft, Go, and Road Trip. Yafet Koto brings a lot of credibility, more than this movie probably deserves. Um, I would say this is on the same level as having Ossie Davis and Bubba Hotep. Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr make amusing but chilling cameos as a childless couple. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, is the most cartoonish of the Nightmare series, but is also very interesting in the handling of the dystopia subplot. It feels like a believable post-apocalypse akin to Children of Men. England is having a blast as Freddy, plus a strong cast of new talent gives some life to this closing entry. Coming from New Line Home Video, the $20 million box office smash. From Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, comes a new dimension in terror. Miss me. Cut the effect! Close. Wes Craven's new nightmare. The best horror film in years. Almost there. <laughs> the most twisted scare fest in ages. Four stars, the New York Post. Wes Craven takes it to a new dimension, raves the New York Times. New Nightmare reunites the stars from the original, including Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Nick Corey, and Robert Englund. Ever played in the cat. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. This time, staying awake won't save you. Meet your maker. New Nightmare opens with a gonzo sequence of Freddy's claws slashing its way through a movie set, killing members of the effects team. This turns out to be a dream for Heather Lagenkamp, who wakes up in the middle of an earthquake. Heather and her husband Chase rush to their son, Dylan. 
In between the earthquakes and the nightmares, Heather has been receiving creepy phone calls from an unknown individual. Heather is called into New Line Cinema for a meeting with Robert Shea, the head of New Line. He informs her that they are working on a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie with her husband working on the effects for the past few weeks. Wes has been working on the script for months. Heather's son, Dylan, has been having terrible nightmares and sleepwalking episodes. His T-Rex doll has slash marks on its side. Coinciding with these events, Heather meets with Wes to learn about the new film. Wes has the idea of Freddy being such a powerful entity on film that he's trying to enter our world. Wes Craven's new nightmare was the meta-exercise prototype that would later give way for the meta-slasher gem, Scream. This is the best next step in the evolution of Freddy Krueger, but it's also a return to form for the character. Freddy as a dream demon trying to enter our world through the dreams of people is a genius concept. It also helped that this film coincided with the 10-year anniversary of the release of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. The film also allows Craven to tour with ideas in real-life situations. The talk show sequence was shining a light on the alarming notion that kids love Freddy, a child murderer. This is a statement that can be made for other franchises like Halloween and Friday the 13th, where viewers essentially cheer the bad guys, almost causing them to lose their bite. The character of Dr. Hefner, played by Fran Bennett, was based on Richard Hefner, the head of the MPAA. Bennett was a thorn in Craven's side and was censor-happy with regards to cutting Craven's films. The subplot of the chilling phone calls with Heather Lakenkamp was based on true events. Heather was a cast member of the sitcom Just the Ten of Us when the show was canceled and angry fans stalked Heather. Wes Craven wrote, directed, and appeared in the film. Craven did a great job of bringing the visceral horror back to the Nightmare on Elm Street series with New Nightmare. Gone is the comedy and gallows humor. K&B Effects handled the special makeup. Uh, this is the company headed by the trio of Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger, and Greg Nicotero. This team has worked on all sorts of films. Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, Casino Royale, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Heather Camp, John Saxon, and Robert England return to play themselves, as well as end up reprising their respective roles of Nancy, Nancy's father, and Freddy. England shows he's still got the ability to make Freddy terrifying, as opposed to being a jokester. Keep an eye out for a cameo by Tuesday night, the actress who played Kristen in Part 4 of The Dream Master. Lynn Shea returns to the series as a nurse. Shea played a school teacher in the original. Real-life New Line head Robert Shea plays himself and does a decent job. Miko Hughes steals the film as the son of Heather, Dylan. He can do a creepy Freddy voice. His body language sells you on the trauma he's experiencing. Hughes was already in a number of films before New Nightmare. He was the resurrected child in Pet Cemetery, which was his film debut. He was hilarious in Kindergarten Cop. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. (laughs) He would go on to appear in Apollo 13, Spawn, Tropic Thunder, and Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis. New Nightmare is the film for fans who wanted Nightmare on Elm Street to return to its strictly horror roots. Freddy isn't a clown. Craven has a lot to say about horror and its misperception by the public. You could easily skip all the films after the first one and go directly to New Nightmare and not miss a thing. 
And that wraps up this episode and our look at the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I really don't want to rank these films since they offer different experiences. If you want the version of Freddy that was seriously scary, then original Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, and New Nightmare would probably be more your preference. Uh, For the comical version of Freddy, there's Part 3 of the Dream Warriors and Freddy's Dead. Part 4 and 5 fall in the middle, but uh, end up being the lesser interesting films. I will eventually cover Freddy vs. Jason when I do a Monster Mash episode where the greatest monsters in film clash with one another. Next time on Making the Movies, we'll be taking a look at the Spaghetti Western series for The Stranger, starring Tony Anthony. The four films in that series include A Stranger in Town, The Stranger Returns, The Silent Stranger, and Get Mean. That episode will hopefully drop on Monday, August 17th. This will be the first episode dedicated to a spaghetti western since the Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill episode uh, covering the Cat and Hutch trilogy as well as the Trinity films back in episode 12. If you enjoy this program and want to see it grow, consider a one-time donation via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. I have a subscribe star that you can join and help guide the creative direction of the show, starting at $1.99 a month. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have a BitChute channel as well. All of that in the description and box below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies. Take care and stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.